0: Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals." To Adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So if you're listening to Genesis 3 as Anne read it for us, you'd know that that's some weighty stuff and we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. Some of the things we're going to share are difficult for me to share, they're going to be challenging for us all to hear and the evil one would love us to turn away, love us to be deceived once more. So I'm going to take a moment to pray just ask for God's leading and protection as we do this. Father God, we thank you that we rest in your unquestionable goodness. We thank you that we rest in your immeasurable power, we thank you, Father, that now we gather in your real presence. By your Holy Spirit and by your word, you are here with us. So, Father God, I want to ask that uh, you would have control over my words, that they would be your words of truth. Pray, Father, that you would be looking after our hearts, minds, and conviction centres, that we would receive your word with glad and willing hearts we pray, Father, indeed, against the deception of the evil one. We pray that you would hold back his lies, hold back his distractions, and take us on a journey of your truth. Your truth that has challenging chapters, but ends with glorious hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, on your way here this morning, if you're like me, and I know that you are in this space, um, you have to make some choices, Right? Uh, Some of us chose, will we hit the snooze button or not, that sort of stuff. How many more minutes can you extract of sleep? Will you have breakfast? If you are having breakfast, I had that critical decision of will I go Vegemite or just toast or will I have oats like I should have? I just went with Vegemite on toast. You have to make these decisions. You choose which tie you're going to wear because you're at the 8 o'clock service, so you wear a tie. Um, And all those sorts of things. You had choices to make to get here, but there's one choice I suspect none of us entertained as a valid option. I'm guessing no one, as you're getting dressed, thought, "I'm not going nudie today. <laughs> I am legit going to rock church naked." I'm suspecting that no one entertained that as a valid option because generally speaking, most of us consider our nakedness as something we sort of keep to ourselves or just maybe our, our spouse. And that's where our nakedness, and only in you know, the right context or whatever, we, t- we tend to keep our nakedness to ourselves. Hence, we have our cupboards full of clothes. And when we come out, we have clothes which help us cover more than we would like to reveal. Have you noticed when you look around your house, the rooms that anticipate nudity have locks on the doors? Your kitchen doesn't have a lock on the door because no one wants you naked in there. But the rooms where you might be naked, um, there is a lock. Because we all know when you're naked, the worst possible thing would be if someone walked in whilst you were in your birthday suit. When we come to Genesis 3, we meet Adam and Eve again. Adam and Eve who are representative of humanity. And if you're wondering, are they really like me? Well, they seem to treat nakedness in a similar way to us. They want to cover it. So when they realise that they're naked, they have fig leaves and cover themselves up. When someone walks in, they hide. So for Adam and Eve... The situation is rough because they are naked and the worst possible thing happens. Someone walks in. There were no locks on the Garden of Eden at the time. Someone walks in and that someone is someone of significance. The greatest significance it's God. God walks in and someone hasn't schooled God in uh, the etiquette of walking in on someone naked. There's only one correct response when you walk in on someone, and that is to die of embarrassment and go, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, and and leave. Here's what you don't do if you happen to walk in on someone naked. You don't point and comment. Enter God. God walks in on Adam and Eve naked, and he chooses to point and comment. But let's shift the point a little bit. Because you might be thinking God walks in and with a beavis and butthead sort of... (laughs) That's not how he points. This might be more like uh, you see your spouse or you see a friend at the beach and you notice a, a skin condition, a mole or something that's changed in one of those scary looking ways and you go, ooh. God walks in and he points with the most significant ooh the world has ever heard. God walks in on a naked, and to be naked is literally, as you know, to be revealed. But this is more than physicality. This is everything that you are laid bare and shown. God walks in on Adam and Eve's nakedness, and he legitimately points. As you'll see in uh, verse 11, he says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is not a question of finding out. God already knows. What God is saying through this question is he is pointing and he is saying, We both know that you haven't followed my command. We both know that my command was do not eat for on that day you will die. God points and as it, when you point you draw attention to something, God points and he says... You're dead. I've walked in, and as you're revealed, I see that you're dead. Not only does God point, he comments, I see that you're dead, let me tell you what I think about it. I see that you're dead and you actually look and will look like someone dying. You look like you're dying. Look at uh, verse 14 and 15. Now these words from verses 13 onwards are kind of known as the curse. But these are God's powerful comments. He speaks to, to the serpent, the deceiving one. And he says these words. Most importantly, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And, we'll have, and, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And we'll have some wonderful things to say about that particular verse in the season of Easter. But we're not at Easter right now. I want to talk to you about Christmas today. What God says is, as he comments, he says, look, there is going to be a battle that will happen now. And that battle is a battle of humanity and deception. Eve, from here on, the human race will have a battle with deception. Now, this is a big deal. Just a few chapters before, in fact, we're three chapters into the Bible, when God began his creation work, I don't know if you remember, but God would say, let there be, and it was, the thing happened, and God said it was good. Now, what is it when our words correspond with reality? It's called truth, isn't it? You ask your children, what happened? They come and say, I was mucking around with a ball and it went through the window. Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for having words that correspond with reality. Now, because God is sovereign over all things, he speaks and reality corresponds to his words because his words are words of truth. It's from God's word of truth that creation and life comes to be a thing. Can you see what's happening here? That if truth brought life, here God, as he points and comments, says you are going to have an existence where your battle will be with deception. The truth that has brought life, your reality will be one now where you will battle with lies. You will battle with deception. He goes on to speak directly to the woman in verse 16 and he says to the woman, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor you will give birth to children your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you do you recall when god created the man and the woman and he said to them i bless you he blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply you are the wonderful image bearers i've created no i want more of this be a family Be more, it will be a blessing. And now we move from fruitful multiplication to painful procreation. Uh, Does anyone want to contend that childbirth is not painful? We know from history that this has been a leading cause of mortality throughout the ages. This is a big deal. Moving from the blessing of fruitful and multiply, we now move to a space of painful, painful procreation likewise we move from a space where it was not good for the man to be alone for the human to be alone for he could not bear the image of a relational trinitarian god all by himself and so god gave him a corresponding human and made them male and female and they would respond to each other in their difference and bear the image of the trinitarian god but now rather than a helpmate we see that the man and his wife will be rivals. Fruitful multiplication moves to painful procreation, helpmates move to rivals, and the image of God and humanity is distorted. Then God turns his attention to the man and speaks to him directly. He says to Adam, Because you listen to your wife, should we let that hang for a moment? Now that we've had a giggle, let's be serious about it. At times this verse has been, I would contend, incorrectly used to say, and so when a husband or a man learns from a woman, it's inherently an evil thing. I'm going to respectfully disagree with that point of view and say that you'll find it biblically challenging and practically impossible to live a healthy life where you don't listen to your wife and learn from your wife. It's just not wise. There are two voices that Adam could listen to. He only heard two. The voice of God and the voice of another human who happened to be his wife. Adam chose to not listen to God. Adam chose to listen to another member of creation rather than hear the voice of God who had instructed him clearly And it instructed him wisely. And God says, Adam, you didn't listen to me. And because of that, because you didn't listen to my instruction, there's going to be a significant problem between you and all of creation. Cursed is the ground because of you. Do you remember earlier in the piece when God made everything? There's this river flowing in a garden and God placed the man in the garden for... Glorious, delightful gardening that would bring forth fruit. And God said, see, I give you these trees for fruit. Now it's by the sweat of your brow that you will eat. From creation that will serve you well to now by the sweat of your brow you will eat. God had created the world and this space as a stage for a glorious love story. And through this sin, this fall, this death, even the stage is broken and the place for the glorious love story becomes a place for a deathly tragedy. Even the stage is broken and ruined. And one of the parts that gets me most in this passage is verse 19. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Again, earlier in Genesis when when God first creates humanity makes Adam. I'll explain more on another day, but hear me when I say to translate Adam simply as man is not the most uh, helpful way to understand this part of scripture. What God creates is the earthling, Adam. And there's a poetic uh, linguistic beauty in the original language because what he does is he makes Adam from Adamah. That is, he makes the earthling From the earth. And the tragedy here is that you get Adam from Adamar, who will return to Adamar. Earthling from earth. It's like the glue, the nuts and bolts will fall out and you'll be dust again. The picture here of God's curse, or as I've called it, God's comments, is a powerful and tragic reversing of the creation process. Creation brought life, and this uncreation picture is a picture of death and a picture of dying. God has walked in on naked humanity, and what is revealed... Is that humanity is dead. Is that creation is ruined. Is that in this space, there is no hope. For on that day, you will surely die. That day has come, you are dead, and you look like you are dying what God says of these people and of what he says of natural humanity. Now, there's a problem with being naked. When you're naked, you immediately, provided you're not by yourself, you immediately make attempts to cover up. Because when you're naked, you're overexposed. Someone might see something that, well, you're not comfortable with them seeing. And so you cover up. You hide away. And that is a temptation that's upon us this morning. As we understand this state of being revealed before God just as Adam and Eve were and to understand natural humanity in its naked form as dead and dying and without hope. And so let me try and lighten things a little bit because I know I've taken us on a dark, dark uh, journey and and show you in another way how we can understand this. Uh, Let me take you into the home of the Dirks family. Uh, This is our Christmas tree, uh, 2019, and uh, we're happy with it. It's good. Uh, And I'm super happy with it, actually, because there was a bit of a rite of passage that happened with this tree. Uh, As you know, my right arm's not working so well at the moment, and so there was this beautiful moment. We did a thing that we love to do, go down to Albion Park and um, cut down a Christmas tree, and we got there, and I'm not great with the saw at the moment. And so I took the saw, like a sword of a gladiator, and I passed it to the fruit of my loins... I said, son, take this saw and slay the tree before you. And my 13-year-old heir (coughs) took the saw and he cut down the tree. Cut down the tree, we took it home, we set it up, we decorated the tree. I didn't have to do much, (laughs) so good. Um, So we set up the tree and we love it, it looks wonderful and hopefully there'll be presents under it at some stage and not just lumps of coal Um, so I wanted to show you something that's our Christmas tree 2019 I'm not lying I promise you this is legit authentic this is the remains of the Dirks family Christmas tree 2018 so I cut it up as best I could and fit it in the green bin well probably best I could is you know not true I gave it a snip and put it in the green bin and chucked the rest down the backyard somewhere and this morning, remembered I still had it. Here's the amazing thing. This tree and this tree are actually in the same space. There's that one, glorious, lit up and whatever. This one you can see is clearly dead, but do you understand they've both been chopped? They've both had that fundamental process happen. That means they're both dead, dying and more clearly dead. They are of the same states. And sometimes we look at humanity, we look at natural humanity and see this, and fail to understand that this is the same situation as this. Because it's hard to be naked. It's hard to be revealed in the same way. And so when we wrestle with some of these concepts that have come out in Genesis 3, like when we're told that you know we're going to battle with deception and truth will be hard, well, what we do is we say, well, we're dead, but we're dead and decorated. So we start making the tree look pretty. We say, well, if truth is hard, let's have creative approaches to truth. Let's have relative truths where that's true for you but not true for me. An author by the name of Dale Keane uh, wrote a book called Sex and the Eye World. He says one of the taboos of our society today is you can believe whatever you like, just don't assert it to be true. Truth is relative. Others would say, well, truth is actually selective. So the truths are the truths, but you choose the ones that are convenient for you and go with them. The other thing that we sometimes do is, and this is more complex, we let feelings rule over truths. And so sometimes because I have strong feelings about this, I want what is true to conform to the way I feel. Rather than, look, my feelings are going to have to conform to what is true. It happens in the simplest sort of way. Everyone gets a trophy because you'd feel sad if you weren't the winner. But the truth is, you're not the winner. It's not the end of the world. It's just reality. Let's grow in our feelings to cope with it rather than contort the truth and give everyone a trophy like everyone thinks they won. They didn't. Enough from you. (laughs) And so we shift truth to fit what might offend. Sometimes we're just going to need to be offended. That doesn't mean we have a right to not be gentle or to be harsh, but truth comes first because it's true. And it was the words of truth that brought life. Not the words of feelings. We live in a time where relationships are tough. We live in a time where there is this rivalry picture. And so what do we do? We decorate the tree again. Wow, you now we're not dead. It can be pretty. Look, there we go. Well, I'm still going. And so rather than uh, understand what God has said of relationships, we practice crazy individualism as we understand that God has created gender and he's created gender as equal but different sometimes understanding those differences means that there is a conflict rather than complement and so we start to say things like oh is there difference isn't everything the same no it's not that's not God's design and so we try to make our relationships just smooth past The challenges we decorate the tree. And as we look at creation itself, here's one that might challenge you a little bit. We start to speak about climate issues in a particular way. Now let me be really clear and say, if we approach climate issues from a position of God's called us to take dominion over his earth, and so we should practice good stewardship, be careful stewards of what he's entrusted to us, then we are biblical. If we start to approach climate issues like if we do the right things we can sustain this earth and make it last and it will work again you're sub-biblical because the bible tells us the world is broken the bible tells us it's in bondage to decay the bible tells us it is dead and dying and it will be replaced and so when i hear the messages of don't you want the world to last for your children and your children's children I remember Genesis 3 that tells me that my children and my children's children in their natural state are dead and dying and deserve death. Humanity in its natural state deserves death and has the privilege of paying taxes. And so if I am alive tomorrow and if the sun comes up tomorrow because of God's good providence, I praise him rather than expect, yeah, the world's meant to go tomorrow. I pray unto God it will. Let me be clear again. We approach these issues rightly thinking about stewardship of God's earth. Rather than thinking by our human efforts, we can make something that God said is broken and will die somehow last forever. Humanity is dead. Humanity is dying. This is humanity naked and revealed, dead and decorated. That is the natural human existence, dead and decorated. And if you receive this, I can tell you why the world needs Christmas. It's because a dead world needs a second beginning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us, For as in Adam all die. So if you think I've been dramatic and been making things up and been a little bit too mean, talk to God. Because he says the natural state is that we all die and we're all dead. But he also says, in Christ all will be made alive. And so let me tell you, this is the thing with Jesus. Jesus is the second or the last Adam. He is the new type of humanity. The first humanity is dead and dying. Jesus is the last Adam. Jesus is the new human pattern. Jesus is the new creation. Jesus is the one who is alive. Look at Jesus as Luke tells the story as Gabriel comes to Mary. Have a look at this. Gabriel the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, great news, um... You give birth to a son, you're to call him Jesus, God's Savior. Uh, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, that's Israel, uh, forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary says, Sorry, Mr. Angel, but I was listening in PD Health PE the other week, and this is not meant to happen. I'm somewhat underqualified. She says, I'm a virgin. How can this be? The angel explains that God's going to do a work. I want you to see that work in the context of creation. Let's go to the next slide. Do you remember in the very beginning of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was in a virgin-like state. It was formless and empty. There was no direction. There was no stimulus for a thing darkness was over the surface of the deep and it was the spirit of God who hovered over the waters In the spirit of God that brought forth the true word of God and brought about creation brought about life it's this same creation act that when the virgin says but I'm I'm formless and empty the holy spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you The virgin birth is very important doctrine to the Christian faith because this is the second Holy Spirit creation event. When creation, when humanity was found to be dead and dying, a new start was required. And as miraculous as the first, when God said all the things He said in Genesis 1, and it was, once again, God moves. The spirit overshadows and creation comes about. Jesus is the new creation. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the new humanity. Jesus is the dawning of life where death had reigned. I think it looks like this. And I want to thank my sponsor. I thank my first sponsor. No, they didn't sponsor me. I bought my Christmas tree, um, Albion Park. Now I thank Woolworths who have given me this little pot and these seeds. This is how it looks. Dead and decorated, but as Luke explains to Mary, sorry, as Gabriel explains to Mary and Luke records for us, a new seed is being planted. A new creation event is happening, or as Jesus would explain later, that the kingdom starts as small as a mustard seed. And so these are a few seeds. I can't even get, so I get one out. You won't be able to see it, but you'll trust me that there's one seed in my hand right now. And I place that, and that's planted. And here we have dead and decorated, and here we have beginning and alive. We need Christmas because in Adam, the natural world, humanity, is here. We need Christmas because Jesus comes as new creation, as the new humanity, as the fresh beginning. And we will talk down the track about how he actually goes on and takes on death and does all that stuff, but that doesn't even start unless someone who is alive and not dead does the job. The world needs Christmas because creation was revealed to be dead and needs a creator revealed to be life. And you know what that means? It means that no matter how bad you think your yesterday was, you're sitting here going, I can never do that God stuff and that preacher just did one of those fire and brimstone things and I'm out of here as soon as I can. If you're like, because I'll never be good enough, because I've done all these bad things, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter how bad you've been or what you've done, you were dead anyway. You can't make it worse. Can I say on the flip side, if you're sitting in your chair quite self-assured and thinking, makes sense that I've been around for a while. makes sense that I'm a Christian. I really fit here because I've lived my life really well. That's like the Christmas tree. It's dead and decorated. It doesn't matter how good you lived because you were dead as well. But in Jesus, in Christmas, there is new life. The world needs Christmas because a creation revealed to be dead needs a creator who's revealed to be life. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. (sighs) Father God, I pray in particular now that by your Spirit, the comfort of of our Lord Jesus might be among us all. Father, we've heard some words of Scripture, and I've tried to explain them in a way that is just so damning, just so hopeless, just so dark, just so weighty, just so... Maybe even insulting. Father God, I pray that in that naked state, our impulse wouldn't be to cover up, to lock ourselves away, to hide. But instead to hear that Christmas is where once again, God, you walked in. You walked in, you pointed. And this time your comment was, let's start again. Let's not have this death and dying, let's have life. Come with me. And so, Father God, we praise your name that though all in Adam will die, all who are in Christ, the new humanity, the new creation, will live. And so we praise his name and we pray in his name. Amen.